and gentlemen, to season four, episode seven of Unsportsmanlike Conduct. As always, I'm your host, Mitch Fosford. Joining alongside me is, well, I think you all know who it is at this point. It's Mr. Christian Brewer. Christian, happy Monday, if that's a thing. How are we feeling today? Brother, I am living the dream, man. It's been a good couple of weeks. I finally feel like I have a grasp on all of my schoolwork. There's literally sports 24-7. The TV's always on. It, there's just always something to do. I feel so productive right now. It's just a good time. You know what I'm saying? Plus, it's March, brother. I mean, I'm not one to, to do the whole cliche, oh, this is March, yada, yada, yada. But it is the best month of the year. For sports fans like us, and especially last year, obviously, with COVID, just at the very infancy of its stage, mm-hmm. and we now know what happened. Uh, obviously, this year, hopefully, everything will smooth be good tournament. But before we get to... Talking all this stuff. Um, we haven't talked a lot of hockey on the show, have we? I think we need to get a heavy hockey segment here. I'm with it. So, are you ready? Yeah, I'm with let's, it. So, let's do have some puck talk here. All right, so let's go, first of all, halfway through the season, just in general. I mean, we'll get down division by division. But, what are your thoughts out of the gate so far? You know, as somebody who hasn't watched a ton of hockey in years past, I took it upon myself to really commit and and watch some hockey. I mean, one of my roommates back in my dorm is a huge hockey guy, so there's he's always got hockey on his on his computer on the TV, um, and I've learned a lot. I mean, I've always understood the basics of the game, but uh, to be able to watch and and see some of these teams set themselves apart has been really cool. Um, I've got a couple of surprise teams for you. I've got one team that's riding the struggle bus that I don't think anybody expected. I'm sure you know who that is, but. Yeah, I'm more than excited to talk hockey with you. I'll say this, though. Uh, back in August, when the playoffs were starting the bubble, which was like a great period of my life in the summer, and mm-hmm. I thought I'd get playoff hockey in the summer, uh, I ordered NHL TV for like a discounted like $15 price. Just make sure to watch every game, because my Winnipeg Jets didn't always have games <laughs> on uh, NBC Sports all day, so I made sure of it. But I told myself, make sure you cancel this, make sure you cancel the subscription. And you know what? Guess who forgot to cancel the NHL TV subscription? I'm going to guess you. Yeah, and you know what? Honestly, I had the money to do it, and you know what? I was sitting here in my living room. I have three TVs here set up, and all of them are set to it, and you know what? It's nice watching a hockey game every night. It's awesome. So, let's break this down division by division. Let's start first with the Discover Central Division. I still can't believe these division <laughs> names. I remember how stunned you were when I told you about that. Yeah, so obviously right now, uh, as we're sitting this here on Monday, March 1st, 2021, yes, we pre-record these podcasts, so obviously some takes we say get out day by the time they get released. Exhibit A, Carson Wentz. Yeah. However, it's just sitting right now, Tampa and Florida tied for first. Two-point gap between first and fourth and then the Central, then it kind of drops off a bit. What are your overall thoughts on the Central Division so far? Well, I've got, believe it or not, this is about where all of my surprise teams are. I have the Florida Panthers, although I, I don't know if they're as much of a surprise to you uh, as they are to me. I wasn't really expecting them to rock it up to the top of the standings, really. Um, and then Chicago's been good, too. Uh, they took it to Detroit last night. That was, um, you know, after after Detroit wins... The night before, you think it's at least going to be a game, but I guess it's the Kevin Lankin indifference uh, for Chicago. Uh, those two teams have really surprised me. And then Dallas is riding the struggle bus out of the gate here. Um, they're not riding it, they're driving it. And um, I think part of that has to do with them just kind of being a little bit behind, having to miss the beginning of the season uh, with their with their COVID problem. But 
I'm expecting them to turn it around, but right now, man, what are they? Are they? They're behind Detroit, right? By as of right now, as we're talking Monday standings. Yes. Uh, by points, it's one point difference. Although honestly, Dallas is five fighter, Detroit seven fourteen and three. Yeah, okay. Well, yeah, that's just uh, the game. Maybe because Detroit's played eight more games and they're right. one point difference. Right. So that'll that'll obviously water always finds its yeah. level in that case, but yeah, Dallas struggling, man. So for me, honestly. When Joel Quimbo got hired to this Florida, I knew year two we were going to see some serious growth for this team because they have a lot of talent. John Huberto, Alexander Barkov, or Slava Barkov, I don't know how they got Slava out of that, and Aaron Ekblad, three great foundational pieces, a lot of good support and talent behind it. I knew year two, if Sergey Bobrovsky could have a good season, they could be going off. Now, Bobrovsky, However, they're still finding good goaltending, so that helps out the game. I think Tampa at the top, no surprise. Uh, my big point, Florida, no surprise at the top. I think people slept on them for no reason. The talent they have and the coaching they have, it's going to be great. Number two, my biggest disappointment so far in this division has been the Nashville Predators. Offense is reeling. This team is relying on defensive goaltending, and I'm sorry, Pekka Rene has not been the same since the finals in 17. Since the one goal he gave up in game six, and a 2 nothing loss because the other one was empty netter. Ever since that moment, Nashville has not been the same. Pekka has not been the same. It's unfortunate. It stinks. But I have a feeling after the season, the way they went in the draft this year with goaltending, we're about to see probably rebuild Nashville. Mm-hmm. And it's unfortunate because obviously they had a really great physical, fun team to watch. It was great to pull for... Can you Nashville made the Stanley Cup Finals in 17? It was almost a Predators-Senators Finals. That's crazy. Predators-Senators. Preds and Suns. I mean, it would have been insane to watch two teams that, like, you know, look, between the two organizations since they've, well, one started in 96, one started about 2000-2001. I was made one finals in, like, 07. But other than that, it's like, those two underdog teams have done a whole lot. Nashville is starting, the wheels are starting to fall apart. Yeah. It's unfortunate. No offense. No power play. It's time for big just shake-up, I feel, in Nashville. Number three, you mentioned it. Kevin Lincoln, and for me, is Calder Trophy front-runner, and it's not even close at this point. My biggest issue with Chicago, I thought they'd be in 7-8 spot because I thought their goaltending, I didn't think they had it since Crawford left and retired. Right. What Kevin Lincoln has done for this team is the reason why they're sitting in third place without Jonathan Taves, without Kirby Dock. Oh, yeah. It's critical. It's huge. And for me, honestly, once they get those guys back at some point, honestly, I, I think they can finish top four in this division. I think they can. I think they could be a playoff team. Would they be a three or four? I don't know. I think they bow out in the first round. Because at this point, you're going to have to play Florida. You're going to have to play Tampa. Florida, I feel, could be a better matchup. Tampa, I'm sorry. Tampa's a wagon. They're going back to the finals this year. Yes. I don't care what anybody says. But also, the important Dallas, they're still without Tyler Sagan, who had a torn neighbor on his hip. He may be the same player coming back, which is super unfortunate. But that's the central. And I will say that, you know, I've been able to watch Kevin Lincoln in a handful of times because, like I've mentioned a thousand times, my roommate's a huge Blackhawks fan. And so that's the game we watch every single night. And the difference between Subban and Lincoln in a net, I'm telling you, man, it's night and day. I feel like the offense plays better when Lincoln is in net just because they have so much more confidence. They do. Um, let's go down to the East Division. Um so sitting right now, Washington's in first. However, fifth place Pittsburgh's got it's a five point difference between one mm-hmm. and five. As of right now, Washington one, Boston two, Islanders three, Philadelphia four, Penguins five, Rangers six, Double seven, Sabres eight. 
I'm not surprised with the standings, but what's your take on the Mass Mutual East Division? Mass Mutual, what the hell? <laughs> um, it's loaded, man. It's very deep. Like you mentioned, the, the point differential, not much. You've got five teams with 11-plus wins. Um, that one's going to be a lot of fun to watch how it shakes out. I think right now the team at the top should be the favorite in, in Washington. I just think that they're pretty deep, and they should be able to make the run. At the end of the season, I think that they're the most built to last. But don't be surprised if any of these teams come on. You know, I'm looking at Pittsburgh. Uh, you've got some impending stuff with Sidney Crosby if they can't get to the top half. Um you know, I've heard rumors maybe he might be on the move. Um, and really, it's just, it's like I said, it's a loaded division. Yeah, uh, big things for me. One, like I mentioned, there's no surprise standings. Uh, two, Washington and Pittsburgh went through five, five points difference. In any other year, these are five playoff teams. Yes. Someone's getting left out. It's going to be an absolute dogfight. This is where we've... Obviously, the North Division will get to there. I love watching. But this is a division that's going to be unholy competitive. Mm-hmm. It's going to be insane. And a really good team is about to get left in the dust. Yeah. A really good team. Now, also, a Dark Horse MVP pick so far this year, James Van Riemsdyk. Averaging over a point a game. Goal scoring like crazy right now. The only issue with Philadelphia, kind of hot. Y'all thought it was going to be the man in that. Rough start to him. Yeah. Fortunately, Brian Elliott. Yes, Brian Elliott is off to a super red hot start for the Flyers. I'm glad to see him, a former Big Ten guy with Wisconsin, finding great success so far this season. So, this East Division is going to be fun how it shapes out. I think Washington will stay. I think the Islanders will stay. I think if Philadelphia could get things going, maybe. I feel the only three teams I could see struggling would be Boston, Philadelphia, and Pittsburgh. I think Washington has enough firepower. I think with Barry Trotz, as their head coach, obviously, tough, physical, low-scoring style, mm-hmm. and the Islanders are both perfect for that, I think they're a playoff team. I think if things go right, I think it could be go down to the Islanders being the Final Four team. It's a dark horse pick. Obviously, Washington has a great track record, a great team. Boston's the same way. But I just have this weird feeling the Islanders have just been going to upward trajectory the past few years. I really like, the, I really like this Islanders team making the Final Four. Now let's get to the North Division, the Canadian Division, which honestly for me, it's just been the most, it's just it's a really fun division to watch. Yes. It's just awesome seeing these big Canadian teams, being able to watch these games on, through a Sportsnet feed or a TSN feed or CBC feed on Saturdays. It's always a good, there's always a good Saturday hockey game up in Canada. Oh, It's sure. a great tradition up there. Obviously, Toronto, as of top, is recording this on Monday. Again, a Monday recording, March 1st. As we're recording this. Toronto, 34 points. Edmonton, 28. Winnipeg, 27. Montreal, 23. Calgary, 22. Vancouver, 18. And Ottawa, 15. Just quick takes. What's your overall take on the Scotia North Division? I'm still still upset it's not the Tim Hortons. I was about to, yeah. It should be Timmy H's, but what do you think? No, you're right. It should be Tim Hortons. But, uh, you know, another deep division. Uh, Toronto, Edmonton, the two teams at the top. Um, I think that. Edmonton, obviously, you know, you've got a guy like Connor McDavid. That you, It's always, you know, in, in certain times you look for players um, who make their teams. And it's kind of like the LeBron effect. You know, I'm not saying Connor McDavid has the effect, transient effect that LeBron has on basketball, but he's a really good player. Um, and I think that he's going to keep them afloat. Looking at the rest of the standings here, um, 
again, a lot can a lot can happen from now until the end of the year. But um, Toronto looks like they've got a pretty good hold on the top top seed. Uh, but everybody else really battling out. I see a six point difference, two through five. Um, after that, you know, Vancouver, Ottawa kind of lagging behind. So again, another competitive division. Uh, I don't think it's to the point of the last division we discussed where a good team's going to be left out. Uh, but it's shaping up to have four pretty pretty solid teams in the playoffs. So I'll say this, though. The biggest disappointment to me so far in this division is Vancouver. I get they lost some good free agents. They brought in Braden Holpe, which I thought would be good. But just not after a great start. They're 8-14 and 14 right now. And honestly, I knew it would be a pub battle for them to really get one of the last four spots. But it's still just sad because like, they have so much good young talent like Brock Besser, Elias Patterson, Quinn Hughes. They have a lot of good young talent, and it's just been a rough start. They obviously got off to a really bad start. They gave up a lot of goals early on. I think they finally get their footing, but right now they're in a sixth spot. That's just, I think right now, the way the teams that they're looking up at, I don't think they can catch up with. I think there's, we're about half a point of the season. I think their playoff hopes are kind of down the gutter at this point. Um, second, I think the top three are in. Unless an injury happens or something really wonky happens. I think Toronto, Edmonton, and Winnipeg, the way they're built, Toronto's obviously a wagon. Edmonton has McDavid and Drysdale. The Jets have a lot of talent, and I'm biased as a Jets fan. But also, let's face facts. They have the reigning Vezina Trophy winner. Yeah. They're going to get the roster figured out. Montreal and Calgary, a dogfight for that fourth spot, is going to be in, wait for it, credible to watch. I thought you were going to say insane. Now, if Montreal gets that fourth spot, and it's Montreal and Toronto in a playoff series, which brings into my, to me my third point, Montreal, in my opinion, can skate and keep up with the Leafs. Not only that, but it's original six Canadian rivalry that I want to see go seven games mm-hmm. so badly. If Carey Price can turn it on for seven games against Toronto, Leafs are, Leafs are done. And that brings me to my third point. We've seen Toronto go off to good starts, have some real good teams. We've seen 13, 18, 19, and last year. When it comes to the playoffs and first rounds, get it? You get the point? It's a choke job. Toronto has so much talent. A lot of talent. Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner, William Nylander, John Tavares, Joe Thornton, Jason Spezza. I'm just talking about the forwards. There's no reason this team should not run the Tamils division and be one of the Final Four teams. There's no reason for it. But until they shake that demon of playoff failure, which has eluded them for damn near 50 years, it's one of the... It's honestly one of the most... In America, I heard this the other day. In America, we don't understand the pain and suffering Maple Leafs fans have gone through. We don't understand it. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I don't know there's a good way to... I don't know there's a team in America right now we can compare it to. A team that's gone fifth a 50-year drought... The past 10 years, they've had some playoff success. They've had some real good teams getting the playoffs and just choke away the first round. That's crazy. It's insane. And that's, you know, that, that's got to shake this year. And honestly, in my opinion, it should. Because when I look at this team, Edmonton, yes, McDavid, and Dreisaitl. However, outside of that, especially defensively and goaltending, they're shaky. I don't trust that. I think they could be down first round. They could be playing in Toronto or Montreal in the second round. Winnipeg. The Raptors got a job. Hellebuck's got to be on his head. That blue line has to get better. Their top six, I feel, going to this year and insane, probably second best in their division. I think Toronto edges them. 
Blue line needs work. Obviously, Brian Pierre Luke Dubois lost line A. I've already said my thoughts on that in previous episodes. I'm not looking up. Um, yeah, there's no reason Toronto should not run with this division. But you know what? Until then, though, I'm not gonna. I, I honestly, I don't see it happening until I see it for myself. So now let's get to the West Division, which to me, looking at the standings, man, I feel like t- two of these teams should be running away with one and two. Instead, they're at one and four. Two, obviously, this, before I really get in my spiel about it, talk to me about the Honda West Division. Honda. Not in and out. Honda. I mean, I can only shrug at that. Um, Colorado should be much higher. Um, I know that there's only a two-point difference, but um, they should be... In my opinion, they should be the top seed in this division. Um, you know, still early. What are we, halfway through the year? It looks like they've played a couple less games than some of the other ones. Actually, no. Just St. Louis is 21. They're 18. They're, yeah. So everybody else looks to be hovering right around that 17. At least the top four, uh, that 17-18 game mark. So you can't blame it on the games. Um, you know, and I'm sure you'll get into more detail about this, but they should be at least, you know, top two. Uh, looking down this list, not a ton of surprises really. Other than that, Minnesota has been good, but again, they're tied. They're just a point ahead of Colorado. So, I think that you can see the Avalanche making a run later on in the season and uh, come playoff time. Come playoff time, excuse me. This is going to be a division that's interesting to watch shake out. Yeah, for me, um, the Vegas and Colorado should be at the top of this division right now, and it shouldn't even be close. It should be a five point gap. It should be them. It should be like Vegas and Colorado. Top two, you can pick which one is one or two. Five points, and then top by Minnesota, St. Louis. But here we are, you know. I think, I'm going to be surprised. Am I coming to the season? The California teams, Los Angeles, Anaheim, San Jose, I wasn't expecting a whole lot out of. LA's recent six-game winning streak, and where they're at right now, with Ante Kopitar and Dustin Brown finding their prime forms again, it's being healthy. I love to see them get in the playoffs. But I think they're going to come just short. I really think they do. They got, got a lot of good young talent in the farm system ready to go. Probably about a year or two. But, you know, any, any success you can have this year would be great. But also looking at it, Arizona with 21 points, Vegas with 25. There's a four-point discrepancy. You know, it's a dogfight. And obviously it shouldn't be this tight of a gap. And it brings me to our problems with these teams. Like Kyle Rowe is just young. Peter Francois, or Francois, amazing goaltending. Again, it's a lot of young pieces, guys like McKinnon, Landeskog, Mikko Rantanen, uh, Kale McCarr, Bowen Byram. Like, there's so many young pieces. It's young. They're still trying to find their footing. Think of, like, what Toronto was probably, like, 18. That's the way I look at this team right now. They're young. Yes, they're wagon. Yes, their talent is there. It's a great roster. It's just going to take time for them to, to just, you know, continually learn how to play with each other. Um, Vegas. Here's my bugaboo with Vegas. They locked up Robin Lehner and then Mark Andre Fleury. Two great goaltenders, right? Defense looks good. They signed Alex Petrangelo. Sweet. But I look at their roster. Then look at their forwards. When you look at that Vegas roster, when it's third period, you're down by one. What forward are you going to? You see, the fact, the fact you're thinking about it is what my point is. Vegas doesn't have that top-notch elite goal scorer that great teams need. Like at Washington. Ovechkin, mm-hmm. Toronto, uh, you know, Austin Matthews, Colorado, Nathan McKinnon. 
Tampa, you have you have about three options for Braden Point, Steven Stamkos, and Kucherov when Kucherov's healthy. Dallas, he had Sagan and Ben. Vegas lacks that big gun goal scorer. Petrangelo was a great addition, not going to lie. And that's the problem with Vegas. Yes, they found great success early. The problem is they had found so much, so much success early that normally these kind of teams that take a minute, take a while, these new expansion teams, you can get some, you can get a really good forward high in the draft. They never got that. And yeah, I get William Carlson's great. Jonathan Marshall's all great. Max Pacioretty, awesome. But those are guys that you want second line, first line flirt with. But those are guys that you need a distributor. You need some sort of big player to go with them. That play really well. Vegas lacks that. And for that reason, I'm going to say right now, whoever comes out of the division is not stepping the finals. They won't come close. Honestly, this is the one division. I hate to word it like this. I really do because Colorado or St. Louis could shut me up real quick. This division is the crapshoot out of the four. It's a crapshoot. Let's be totally honest. It's called a spade a spade. This is the one division I think we know that, okay, maybe Vegas make a push, Colorado, St. Louis, potentially. But when you think about the heavyweights, it's Toronto. It's probably going to be Washington or one of those four real good teams we're talking about. It's going to be Toronto. Now this division, like, the only team I can see really making a push is Colorado. Maybe St. Louis. Minnesota is too young for me to actually make a push. So for me, this division, it's kind of a crapshoot. I'm not going to lie. Like, whoever comes out of this division, unless it's Colorado, catches absolute fire in the second half of the season. Now, I was swallowing my words in this take. But I don't see it. That's my problem with West Division. So that was our NHL breakdown. All right, ready to move on to our next topics. Oh, yes. So before we get to my corner, let's go yours first because mine's going to be very lengthy. And yes. I, need, I need a chance to catch my breath. So. Christian's corner this week. What are we talking about, buddy? Well, we're talking about the NCAA. Um, and they've had some uh, tournament revisions come out. And I'd like to address the fact that they left no buffer week between conference tournaments and um, the, the start of the national tournament. So basically what I'm understanding from this this new revision is that if a team has a positive test, they're done. Season's over. And they're not going to reseed. So if a team opts out or tests positive before the tournament, now you get a last four out team in wherever they are. So let's say hypothetically Gonzaga's the number one seed and the 16 seed that they're going to play can't play. But since it's before the game start, now you send in a team like well, Duke or Michigan State to play Gonzaga in the first round. I mean, granted, if you're going to win a national title, you've got to beat the best teams, obviously. But to do it off the, from the jump? Brother, I just I don't understand. I mean, I get you want to have a tournament. You want to have teams play. But they should have put in more of that buffer because you already understand that it's a bubble, right? You shouldn't outside of the first week when you bring teams in, which is why they should have had that buffer week. Outside of that, nobody should test positive. You keep them all in the same place, nobody should have that problem. So by putting in that extra week to allow teams that, to go through it, get acclimated, and the Big Ten has an advantage here because their, their tournament is in Indy. So they're not going anywhere for two weeks. So that is, in a way, their buffer week because you're, you're not moving. You're not traveling 
outside of getting on the bus going to and from games. So by, by inserting that week that you could have had for teams to just quarantine, now you shouldn't even have to run the risk of having to sub teams in and out. Which, I mean, granted, life's not fair, but a team like a Gonzaga, like a Michigan, and I'm biased as a Michigan fan, shouldn't have to play a snub as opposed to a scrub in the first week of the tournament. That's just my opinion, but come on, NCAA. It's the latest gaffe. Um, you've had all year, you've had since you canceled the tournament last year to think about a plan, and somehow a quarantine week slips everybody's mind. There's a reason when the teams went to the bubble, they didn't start playing games right away. There's a reason teams didn't leave their hotel rooms for 48 hours. Okay? And the NCAA, once again, allows it to slip their minds. Mine's done, but man, I am, I am livid. Because some teams, some teams seniors, and granted you get the extra year, but somebody's season's going to end uh, because they test positive, and it's going to be unfortunate because, I mean, they could have had a week to, to get through it. So. I have Scratch's corner for my corner. Mine's going to be a lot more lengthy and windy. But let me ask you, let me ask you this. Have you ever heard the concept of a trade tree? Oh, yeah. All right, so for those who don't know, I got this, this idea happened from a, from a man named Steve Dangle up in Canada. He works for a Sportsnet or TSN, I can't which outlet, but on YouTube he has these pre-breakdowns trade trees. Like, you know, he, he takes a trade and sees, like, what happened in the after effect. So I thought, man, how awesome would it be if we broke down the NFL trade trees, right? So we talked about Carson Wentz getting dealt, right? Mm-hmm. You remember the fact how big of a deal that was when Cleveland traded the second pick to Philadelphia? Yes. Do you want to know what's happened since that trade? I would love to. So if you hear ruffling, if you hear ruffling of papers during the segment, it's just me looking at my about four pages worth of notes. Oh. I spent about good four or five hours on this. So for Mitch's, Mitch's Corner presents the Carson Wentz trade tree. Oh, yeah. Four ready. All right. Let's go back to 2016. Eagles are picking one. Or picking... Sorry. Yeah, Eagles are picking two. Sorry. Browns are picking two. This is off to a great start, isn't it? It's a great start. However, Philadelphia needed a quarterback bad. Obviously, Tennessee traded with L.A. to get the first pick, so the Rams were about to get Jared Goff. Since that, since Donovan McNabb left, you know, obviously, and besides one good year in Nick Foles, quarterback was issue in Philadelphia, right? Yeah. Now we see this big hunk and stud out in North Dakota State named Carson Wentz. Great talent. However, Cleveland didn't see that. Cleveland's gym at time said he wasn't even a top 20 talent in the league for quarterbacks. And everybody laughed at him. However, Cleveland traded second overall pick to the Philadelphia Eagles. And the trade went as follows. <clears throat> the Philadelphia Eagles acquired a second overall pick in 2016. And a conditional fifth round pick that could have turned into a fourth rounder, but it didn't. In exchange for Philadelphia's first-round pick in 2016, a third-round pick in 2016, a fourth-round pick in 2016, a 2017 first-round pick, and a 2018 second-round pick. For time, for first of all, let's just go to the Philadelphia side, okay? Because this that part's easy. Cleveland's going to take a while. We don't know what Carson wants to say in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. On, on pace for uh, MVP season in, in 17, the Eagles won the Super Bowl, but, but we talked about his knee going kaplooey at one point. So once, obviously, a couple weeks ago, he got dealt. He got dealt to Indianapolis Colts for a 2021 third-round pick and a 2022 second-round pick that could turn to a first. 
Obviously, that part of the tree we can't finish. However, the fifth round pick wound up getting coupled with another pick that Cleveland had in 2017 in exchange for a fourth round pick and a seventh round pick in the 2017 drafts. The fourth round pick wound up being Howard Wilson, cornerback out of Houston. AAC first team corner, five interceptions, which ranked 13th in NCAA in his senior year. However, he had two patella fractures in two years with the Browns. Didn't really pan out, unfortunately. Injuries just caught up to him. The 2017 seventh round pick, which wound up being 252nd overall, became Matthew Days, running back at NC State, second team all LACC in 16, ran for over 1,000 yards and six and 10 touchdowns. Spent time at San Francisco New Orleans, but his NFL career was done by 2019, unfortunately. So now we get into the eighth overall pick into in the 2016 draft. That pick got dealt along with pick 176. And that trade went with the Titans, ironically, for picks 15, 76, and a 2017 second, second down the road. Fun fact, the two picks that Cleveland gave up, because they also gave up pick 176 in that draft, wound up being the Titans took Jack Conklin and Andy Janovich, which are both currently on Cleveland's roster. That's funny. That's a fun fact for you, huh? Now, That's funny. Now, here's the deal. The 15th overall pick was the first receiver off the board. That, my friend, from Baylor, Corey Coleman. Oh, wow. Do you remember him? I do remember him. For those him. who don't, Corey Coleman were ba- at Baylor. His, in, this, in his last two years alone... 138 receptions, 2,482 yards, and 31 touchdowns. In 2015, he was voted the best wide receiver in the, in the NCAA, won the Linkoff Trophy. Yep. Set school record for four touchdowns in one game. Unanimous All-American. Unanimous. All five media outlets said All-American. Hornsby thinks didn't pan out. No. They did not. He had some, probably some attitude issues, so... Yeah, didn't he ask to be traded on Hard Knocks? He did, and here's how the trade went. Corey Coleman, the 15th overall pick, as part of this trade, was dealt to the Buffalo Bills for a 2020 7th round pick. They got a 7th out of him. And that 7th round pick wound up being Justin McCray. Books out on him. Yeah, so Justin McCray, um... He was with the Falcons this past year. Not a whole lot to be said, be said there. The 76 overall pick wound up being Sean Coleman, off the, off the tackle from Baylor. Wound up being Greg Robinson's replacement left tackle. Started two years for Auburn. They moved from the right tackle in Cleveland. Went two years. Um, he started left tackle. Started right, put him at right tackle. Didn't pan out, really. He wound up not doing much in the league after that. However... The 2017 second round pick. Do you remember who the Browns took that year? 2017? It was a quarterback. Quarterback, that pick wound up being. Make sure we got this right here. Oh, before we get, I'm jumping the gun here. Uh, Sean Coleman was eventually dealt for a 2019 seventh round pick to New Orleans for, uh, make sure I'm saying this name right here. Devereaux Lawrence, who's deep with the tackle from the Saints. Uh, he's a member of the Chiefs practice squad last season. And he won Super Bowl. I mean, he was what it was. But I don't that, know who the quarterback is. Yeah. The quarterback was from Notre Dame, Deshaun, Deshaun Kaiser. Kaiser. Yeah, interesting pick, huh? Not a bad, not a bad career in Notre Dame. Obviously, Notre Dame record rice didn't do well. Started one year for the Browns. Completed about 54% of his passes, 2,894 yards, 11 touchdowns, 22 picks. Eventually, he was dealt, right? Right. He was dealt to the Green Bay Packers in exchange for 
safety Demarius Randall, and 2018 swaps of fourth and fifth round picks. Now, Demarius Randall had a good run with the Packers. Started two seasons for the Browns, 26 starts in 26 games, he was healthy. But obviously, the Browns at that point were just. The Browns were the Browns. Mm -hmm. So, the fourth and fifth round pick swaps. Let's talk the fifth round swap first. That pick wound up being Gennard Avery. A, make sure I got this right here. Player out of Memphis. Two-time first-team All-AAC. He was eventually dealt to the Philadelphia Eagles for a fourth-round pick in this year's draft. So that part of the trade's not even done yet. Yeah. That's what I think. Now, the fourth-round swap. That one got, got dealt to the New England Patriots. Exchange for that pick, 114, and another pick, 178, which we'll talk about later. To move up to pick 102, to move up nine spots to select... Antonio Callaway, wide receiver out of Florida. Mm -hmm. Now, here's the thing about Callaway. Talented player out of Florida. The problem was, um, there, he was off a lot of teams' draft boards totally because of some sexual assault allegations he had of Florida. Yeah. A lot of people thought he wouldn't even get drafted. He even took him the fourth round, maybe turn around. He had some decent productive years, but however, eventually, um, he, had, he, had, he had a substance abuse issue in 2019. Yeah. He was late to meetings and... Team activities, one up being cut. Uh, he hasn't played in the league since, to my knowledge. Note flip here, because I have so many notes here. It's insane, people. So now let's talk about the 2016 third-round pick. One being pick 77. That got uh, deal, dealt with pick 144 in that draft. In exchange for picks 93, 129, and 168. Pick 93 wound up being another quarterback. Can you believe it? Another quarterback. I deal with Carolina, by the way. That quarterback while being from USC, Cody Kessler. Kessler. Cody Kessler. A man who turned on late his last three seasons. Had a great first year at USC. That was kind of maybe sus. Uh, threw over 10,000 yards. Had 88 touchdowns, 19 interceptions in three years at USC. And eight starts to the Browns. He completed about 66% of his passes. Threw for just about 1,400 yards. Six touchdowns and two interceptions in 16. However, the Browns went 1-15. Yep. So, obviously, quarterback is still a need for them. Eventually, Cody Kessler was dealt for a 2019 conditional 7th round pick to the Jacksonville Jaguars. And with that pick, the round selected from Tulsa, I'm sorry, from Tulane, cornerback Donnie Lewis. He's a practice squad player. He was with the Bengals practice squad this past season. So be it. Uh, with pick 129, they got. The Browns selected Derek Kinnered. Uh... Defensive back at TCU. The fun fact about him, he played his entire senior season at TCU with a broken collarbone. Wow. Played through a broken collarbone. Yeah. Wow. The kid was tough. Kid's kid was tough. Beast. He's a tough kid. Tough kid. Uh, wound up having a 448 tackles and two, two interceptions and three seasons with the Browns. Not much really happened past that. With pick 178, the Cleveland Browns selected Spencer Drongo. Guard out Baylor, two-time Big East Offensive Lineman of the Year, freshman All-American, two-time consensus All-American. As a guard, you think, he came a guard, right? Nope. The Browns tried him at left tackle. Tried to see if he could be the heir, the apparent heir to uh to Joe Thomas. But Thomas went down, he stepped in this place. But uh unfortunately, making sure he got this all right. It just didn't pan out. He's he had one year with the Chargers in 18, but since then he hasn't played, unfortunately. So now we get to the really fun part. 
The 2017 first round pick. Are you ready for this? This is the part I feel like it's really interesting for the Browns and where you could see they start to take off with this, mm-hmm. with this trade. That 2017 first round pick was 12th overall. However, that pick got traded. No surprise. They got traded with the Houston Texans for picks 25 and 2018 first. With that pick in 2017, the Houston Texans selected Deshaun Watson. Watson. However, we know what that's at now. With that 2017 first uh, 25th overall pick, the Cleveland Browns took a defensive back from the University of Michigan by the name of Jabril Peppers. Yep. His resume in Michigan was insane. I might taking too long, so I won't go over it a whole lot. Those one, I'll just watch his highlight film. He's one. He's best. He's the best linebacker in the Big Ten. However, Jabril Peppers didn't last long with the Browns. It was him. Obviously, I'm a Kevin Zeitler, a 2019 first and a 2019 third from the Patriots, wound up getting dealt to the New York Giants mm-hmm. in exchange for Olivier Vernon and Odell Beckham Jr. Yeah, both of them play big roles to the Browns today, right? <laughs> I'd say so. Olivier Vernon's one of their top pass rushers to go upset Miles Garrett. OBJ torn ACL yeah, sucked this year. That trade tree might keep going. Who knows? Uh... For those who just are curious, with those picks, the Giants took the first round pick, they took Dexter Lawrence. And with the third rounder, they took O'Shane Ximens. I think I said that right. Lawrence obviously started. Ximens is making this footing with the Giants in that defense. The 2018 first round pick, fourth overall that year, by the way. The Cleveland Browns selected Denzel Ward. Denzel Ward. Their top corner right now. Yep, he's a beast. So now let's keep going here. I also forgot to mention the 2016 fourth round pick, the pick 100. That got dealt in a trade with the Oakland Raiders. Fun fact for you. That got dealt for picks. Make sure I got this right because my hair running apparently is chicken scratch. Picks 111 and 154. With pick 100, the Oakland Raiders, then the Oakland Raiders, selected quarterback on Michigan State, Connor Cook. Yeah, that panned out well. Um, with the 111th pick, the Cleveland Browns, both these picks won't be in wildest, by the way. With pick 111, they selected Ricardo Lewis, wide receiver out of Auburn. For those who remember college football, do you remember the 2013 magical run Auburn had? Sweet. Do you remember that game against Georgia that bounced hit, a long touchdown to win it? I watched it live, yeah. Ricardo Lewis caught that touchdown. It was dope. There's a lot of hype coming out of high school. Everyone thought in college didn't pan out. And the NFL, it just didn't work out. Um... In three years with the Browns, Lewis had 45 catches for 562 yards, no touchdowns. Well, it's been one year in Miami, hasn't been in the league since. With pick 154, the Cleveland Browns selected Jordan Payton, wide receiver UCLA, arguably one of the most decorated wide receivers in UCLA history. Um, he had one reception for three yards and was suspended for the final four games of his rookie season for violating the NFL's PED policy. Didn't play after that, unfortunately. So now, since we're winding down here. Let's talk about the 2018 second rounder, right? Pick 60, pick, yes, it's pick 64 because the Eagles won the Super Bowl. That got dealt to the Indianapolis Colts for pick 178, which helped with the Antonio Callaway deal, and pick 67. And with pick 67, the Cleveland Browns selected Chad Thomas, defensive end on Miami. His last year in Miami, 
12 to 12 tackles for the last four sacks. You know, for a late second. Or early third at that point, actually. You know, take a shot at the guy, right? Mm-hmm. 26 tackles, four sacks in 2018-19. Um, he also goes off, he's also now a rapper, his other rapper name is Major Mine. So yeah, that is the Cleveland, that is the uh, Carson Wentz trade tree. Wow. Now to it, now. I'm working on other ideas for future episodes. I have the RG3 one written now. I might do that to you guys in the next couple weeks. I'm also looking, looking at the Jared Goff trade tree of the Titans. Because guess what? Mm-hmm. Fun fact. That's just, that trade tree and the one, and the uh, golf trade tree actually overlap. Really? They do somehow. So yes. That was the Carson Wentz trade tree for Mitch's Corner. So yeah, let's move on to a different topic. Christian, what's your quick thoughts for this week? Alright, so I got a couple things for you here. Uh, number one, spring training. Last week we talked about what Tiger you think might make the jump that nobody's really talking about. Uh, my question for you this week, how much stock do you put in guys' performance in spring training? I mean, they play games in March. I mean, the games that matter come in April, May, mm-hmm. June, July, August, September, October. I mean, it's interesting to see some guys that – it's interesting to see the kind of younger players and see what happens. Our guys come about to back up injuries. You see, like – you see them knock off the rest because eventually at some point during spring training, for some players it clicks. Some players, it won't click till May or June, you know? I mean, I don't buy a whole lot of stock into it. Obviously, I'll watch because I want to see some of these younger guys yeah. and all that jazz. But I don't buy a whole lot of stock into it. I just know, like, I'm just glad we have baseball back in March instead of waiting until, like, July or August like we did last year. But, yeah, that's how I feel about spring training players. Um, Let's just take in here the Red Wings. Um, if you could just assess the state of the organization, uh, I've tried to ask you this just about every other week, just to get, last night they got pulverized. Uh, is it frustrating to see that happen? One, you know, you, you go and you get a win one night and then the next night you get it taken to you. Is that frustrating at all? A little bit, but also knowing what the wings are as, uh, as an organization, um, and knowing who the teams are playing in the, within the division, I get it. Like, I think they're starting to get some guys to click. I was doing back-to-back games finally, which is a step in the right direction. But I think a lot of these younger guys that we saw, or a lot of the guys that are relying on, are finally back healthy off COVID or any injuries. I mean, I mean yeah, they lost, but they still went up close to 50 shots last night. Which, I haven't seen a Wings team put up 50 shots in a very long time. Like, yes, they're taking steps to where kind of these core guys are going to keep around. And some of these guys you want to deal with the deadline for pieces. Keep that in mind, people. Um... You know, they're starting to click, starting to fire a little bit. Obviously, look, we knew to bring on that division. They're not, they're not going to be a playoff team. Right. I don't see them making playoffs in another two years. Unless somehow something magical happens. But it's just, this is a rebuild. And I keep mentioning all the time, yeah, it's going to suck. But that's just the way it goes. There's growing pains with the, this core. Like, look, it took Steve Eisman 14 years by the time he actually got, 13, 14 years before he got drafted by the Wings by the time he won his first cup. This stuff takes time in the NHL. It takes time. It's like baseball. Prospects take a while to develop. I think football and bas- basketball, too, maybe three yeah. or four years. NFL, you won't see a draft pick really hit, get going until third year. Like, it takes time. It's patience. And we're in the, and Kurt's in the, very much in the front end of this whole rebuild still. Then maybe I'd say about front third, but we're still a ways away. Mm-hmm. Well, last one for you. <clears throat> 
and it's one I kind of just came up with. So, uh, for the listeners, we've got the Pat McAfee show going on mute. I'm curious, who's your favorite sports talk um, personality out there? I don't think I've ever heard this from you. Uh, who's who's number one on your list? And if you could, maybe just give us a rundown of your top three. So, back in the day, I was a big Colin Coward fan. Now, I don't really, I don't really care for much, as much for him because, like, I think some of his takes, I think, are just absolutely blasphemous. Yeah. As some people do. I can't watch a lot of ESPN stuff. Um, although, uh, PTI, Party Interruption, I do like. Uh, obviously, for me, McAfee's up there pretty high. I, I, it's interesting for me because we have a former player. Let's talk, talk about former players talking about sports. Like, th- th- that perspective, I really enjoy. Uh, I have started yeah. watching a little more Dan Patrick. Um, Detroit Free Press. Um, a guy I like to read, but whose takes I definitely do not agree with is Carlos uh, Monterans. <laughs> Some of his takes I just think are apps. Again, I'll Most say it. Most of his takes. Uh, the fact he gave, uh, you know, Frank Redno an F draft gate grade and, like, TJ Hawkinson, like, a D, C plus, whatever it was, like. Well, he gave Brad, he called the organization hiring Brad Holmes a failure. Yeah, exactly. Like and, and like and it's not just that. It's when you listen. I'm sorry, I'm cutting in on you, but you got me fired up now. You got me going. Um, he they do his videos with Burkett, who is they play so well together because Mur- Burkett is very mild mannered, very lax, and then Carlos Menares is so fiery. Um, he said that the only way he would have given the organization a passing grade is if they would have hit a home run with Schneider from the Seahawks or Kevin Colbert from the Steelers, in what world are either one of those guys going to leave what they have and come to Detroit? Exactly. I don't know. It's just, that, that's going to talk to me about a whole different thing with 12 Boy right now. But, yeah, those are kind of the guys, too. Uh, I obviously love reading guys like Ken Rosenthal. Mm-hmm. Also, kind of, I care more about the insiders, too. You know, guys like Adam Schefter, uh, Bob McKenzie. Those kind of guys that really like following and reading what they have to write about. Mm-hmm. Also, Emily Walden from the... Uh, from yeah. the athletic, uh, Royal Aids too. A guy I read a lot. Uh, then obviously, uh, guys, uh, Chris Burke's a guy I've been reading a lot too with the athletic. Some yes. really good stuff. Uh, yeah, honestly, a lot. Of, I read a lot from the athletic. I'll read some Same Bleacher Report stuff that I can stand. Obviously, some of it's interesting. Some of it is just absolute lunacy. Yeah. But yeah, that's kind of where I stand with all that. Yeah, man. I know. I agree with you, man. Uh, athletic is great. Um, for me, I read a lot of Burke too. Nick Baumgartner, Brendan Quinn. My other ones, so yeah. I just wanted to get your perspective on that because I don't think that's a conversation that we've had. And before I forget, I have to give some love to Spit and Checklets. Oh, of course, PMT. Uh, it's a lot of fun. Sorry to get a PMT a little more, but Spit and Checklets by far is a fun lesson every time. So we can finish quick takes. We gotta keep going with our baseball, right? Yeah, let's do it. Guess what time is division to predict? It's the NL East. And in my opinion, it's gonna be the toughest selling gun to predict. The NL Beast. That's a good way of putting it. So let's, you know, let's coin that. Let's let, let, let's discuss the NL Beast. Now I'm gonna say, if for baseball fans, if you're gonna follow one division all season, if you're gonna get like MLB TV or something, follow this division. Because mm-hmm. I think obviously it could down the down the stretch could be a four team race. But let's talk about the reigning champs first, the Atlanta Braves. Just give me quick your written thoughts on the Braves out of the gate. The uh, the offensive firepower obviously sticks out. Freddie Freeman, LB, Zacuna. Um, the pitching, I think they're in a good spot too. Charlie Morton, that's a huge addition. That guy is a gamer. He brings it in the playoffs, man. 
Um, I believe Soroka... No, Soroka is going to be healthy, right? He should be. Last I checked, I traded from Fantasy two starts before he blew out his Achilles. Last I heard back in November, he was still going back off flat ground. So Yeah. Um, if he can get healthy, that'd be good. Uh, Max Freed is solid. Um, and I'm blanking on the other guy. I have a list here if you want me right now. Yeah, right. yeah. So their lineup right now is set. Projected, I'm getting off, I'm getting off sites, but I think the players are right. The order, we can debate. Uh, Ronald Cunha Jr., Freddie Freeman, Marcelo Zuna, Travis Darno, Ozzy Albies, Danzy Swanson, Austin Riley, and one of the top prospects in baseball coming up. We said it's not for the third time for the Braves lineup. Uh, Kristen Pache. Right now the starters, Max Freed, Charlie Morton, Ian Anderson, he, Mike awesome. Soroka, Kyle Wright, and this guy you remember, Drew Smiley is yes, with the Braves. Yes, Smiley, I have him written down. Um, Anderson was what I was blanking on. So, yeah, if that pitching can hold up, man, they're going to contend. They're going to contend. I've seen – I was looking at some uh, different previews last night. I've seen them projected all the way from first to fourth. So, uh, it's all going to be about pitching and bullpen. Yeah, for me, two out of this team, obviously Freeman's an MVP candidate. He's a dark horse for MVP. Ozuna probably could be the same ball. I think, obviously, a full, 16, full 162 game schedule, he's healthy. I'm serious when I say he can hit 40 home runs. I'm dead serious. He was close on pace to win St. Louis in 19, but he dislocated his thumb middle of July and had to sit for a month. He wasn't the same when he came back. The only thing for Atlanta, a lot of these pieces are still young. You still have Alcuna and Albies locked up for long term for team friendly money, which now looking back to the to the Tatis deal, who knows? But you know, I think, I think honestly, the the, the most long term investment, the team I can invest in long term, best way to point if I talk English today, I put stock in Atlanta because yeah, their pitching is young, uh, but also even if it's solid, I don't I think if, I'm, if it's for everything it is, at the end of the day, it's still it's still probably gonna be the the third best rotation in the division, which is weird to think. So that's Atlanta. Let's talk about a team that went absolutely bananas in the offseason, the New York Mets. As of right now, the lineup is setting. It's just the names. Because obviously I think the order is going to change. Brandon Nimmo, Jeff McNeil, Francisco Lindor, Michael Conforto, Pete Alonzo, Dominic Smith, J.D. Davis, James McCann. The rotation is sitting... Jacob DeGrom, Carlos Carrasco, Marcus Stroman, Taiwan Walker, Joey Lucchesi, and possibly back this year, Noah Syndergaard, a.k.a. Thor. I did see him actually throwing, looks like a full capacity, about two weeks ago, and, oh, man, it sounded good when the ball popped that catcher's glove. His flow was still amazing. Yep, and uh, he was fighting Trevor Bauer. Whoa. We'll get to this in a second. Um... Yeah, Trevor Bauer and Syndergaard were going at it on Twitter, which was kind of hilarious. Uh, but, yeah, those offseason moves, man. And if they can get their rotation to be healthy, if they get Syndergaard back and you get Marcus Stroman back to return to form, um, they should be good. They should be really good, and they should be top two in this division. They should definitely be in the playoffs and go out there and be a playoff team. So, uh, yeah, I got a little sidetracked there. But, you know, you got DeGrom, Syndergaard, Stroman. Uh, Taiwan Walker was at one time a big name in the prospect world. Um, it, it this is a squad that could be really good. Yeah. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, since we're talking this right now, we have breaking news. Uh, by the sounds of it, uh, we're watching it on Pat McAfee show. By the sounds of it, 
when Christian said woe was because we saw a photo of J.J. Watt squatting with an Arizona Cardinals t-shirt. By the looks of it, T.J. Watt, I mean, sorry, J.J. Watt, holy smokes, wrong Watt, brother Mitch, come on, get your head straight. Looks like the Arizona Cardinals, two-year deal, about 33 mil. Um, Christian, media thoughts on this, on this move? Whoa, I was not expecting Arizona to be a player. I wasn't either. I mean, holy cow. Out of left field, Cliff Kingsbury, big guy, coming in out of nowhere. Uh, no, this is a good addition for their defense, man. It uh, just, I mean, I'm really just kind of blanking defensively on the Cardinals right now. I mean, they were, where were they uh, this past season? Uh, it's it's very interesting to see what could happen if you can get a full 16-gamer out of J.J. Watt, what he could bring, because I still think he's got a lot left in the tank. So now we're talking J.J. Watt, Chandler Jones, Buda Baker, Isaiah Simmons, uh, Byron Murphy Jr., and Patrick Peterson, I think, will still be there. If you add just, maybe just a linebacker or two and one more D-tackle, that division just got really interesting really, <laughs> really fast. Yeah. Really fast. Uh, obviously, bad, bad news for Green Bay. Bad news for my Steelers. Wah. Uh, but, hey, you know, that's a big power to J.J. Watt for investing in Arizona. Yeah. Power to him. Uh, awesome for him. That's great. Uh, man, I did not see Arizona coming. So now, so now, <laughs> now, Matt Stafford, this other division has J.J. Watt and Aaron Donald. At least Aaron Donald's on his team. <sighs> man. Jeez. That, and if that, and the NFC West is going to be an absolute story. And you got Jamal Adams in Seattle. Yeah. Oh, man. And you got Boza and San Fran. Oh, my goodness. Well, we'll talk about this more next week, but we got to get back to it going. Yes. Uh, yeah, anyway, the New York Mets. Um, this is a team that should be in the top of the division. It should be a team in the playoffs. If not, it's, the season's a failure. The new ownership has been, Steve Cohen has been saying, like, hey, this team should be a playoff contender. The pieces are there. We got mm-hmm. spent. And so far they have. But the Suns are probably the door, so I didn't get a long-term extension. Portals look close to extension, I think. This lineup, I'll get... It's up there probably the best. We'll talk about another team I think is a really deep sleeper. Uh, but the rotation, I think, is the best. Mm-hmm. Tyron Walker had a really good year toward the end with uh, Toronto last season. Obviously, Carrasco bouncing back from cancer. Any success he has be great. Yes. Strowman's just super competitive. DeGrom, Saw Young, front runner. Lukeshi. You know, we'll see what he can do. He get Thor back would be awesome. But now, let's talk about to a team that I think I think honestly is a deep sleeper. The Washington Nationals, and here's why. Let's run down this roster real quick. Trey Turner, Kyle Schwarber, Juan Soto, Josh Bell, Sterling, Sterling Castro, Jan Gomes, Victor Robles, and Carter Caboom, one of the t- probably the top prospects off this year at third base. Their pitching is Max Scherzer, Patrick Corbin, Steven Strasburg. Eric Fader, Joe Ross, or Fady and Joe Ross, and John Lester. Yeah. Boy, on paper, I'm sorry, that's like if Schwarber and Josh Bell can play like they're able to. That lineup is going to have so many, that's going to cause so many problems. Yeah, that's my one point here on my notes is uh, can the lineup hold up? Because if they can, man, this is a team that can battle, especially with all the pitching that's in this division. Um, I would say they've got, far and away, the best rotation. Um, 
So that's not necessarily a problem. And then you've got all those bats, man. There's a lot of dudes that can hit 30 homers in that lineup. So, And you're throwing speedy Trey Turner. Uh, that's a good squad. If they can hold up, man, whew, this, uh, this top third or this top three of this division is going to be insane to watch. Yeah, honestly, if Washington's bullpen can be productive, there's no reason in my mind they can't win this division. I mean, if you're like a 19 that's slow start, but then they caught fire about the last two years of the season. It's the team that, you know, the division's going to be tough. But, man, they have the pieces. If the players are as advertised, if Schwarber can... Because, look, Schwarber and Bell are both capable of hitting 30 home runs. Soto's a, Soto's a superstar. Turner just keeps growing and growing. Jan Gomes is probably one of the more underrated catchers in the league. Sterling Crasho can slash 260, 25, and 70. Victor Robles is a real good outfielder. And Carter K. Boom, you know, a little pressure on him. You can hit the eighth spot. Whatever he does, it's great. And, obviously, you have... Two Cy Young caliber pitchers still with Scherzer and Strasburg. Two really good lefties with Corbin and Lester. And the five starter, you know, you can figure it out as you go. Like, if the bullpen's good for Washington, this is going to be a problem. It could be a problem. Now, they have to be as advertised, which is going to be a problem. Uh, and speaking of problems, the fourth team in this division, the Philadelphia Phillies. Live right now consists of Andrew McCutcheon, top prospect Alec Baum, Bryce Hoppe, Reese Hoskins, JT Riomuto, Didi Gregorius, Gene Segura, and Roman Quinn. Um, and pitchers, of course, uh, Aaron Nola, Zach Wheeler, Zach Eflin, Vince Velasquez, top prospect uh, Spencer Howard, and maybe Ivan Novo after his first spring training start. <laughs> maybe not. What's that look in the Phillies? Uh, can Bryce Harper be the MVP that he's getting paid so much money to be or to not be? Um, that's basically where it runs out to me. You know, I was reading some things. Defensively, they weren't good last year. Uh, the pitching's okay. Uh, it really, it just depends. Can Harper be the guy they need him to be? Can he be the guy who gets the big hits? Uh, and right now, based on what I've seen, I'm leaning toward maybe not. So... With how much better everyone else has gotten around them, the pressure's on the Phillies' offense specifically to step up and, and be competitive against a division with such such good pitching. Yeah, for me, I mentioned every time mentioned every division as a player to watch, right? Yep. For me, it's Alec Baum. There's been a lot of hype around him in the Philly system for a long time. He came up for a while last year, was productive in the 20-30 game stretch he played in. Obviously, they only played 60. I don't think he played the whole season, but... If he's a guy that can get you about 280, 25, and 90 to the top of that lineup to go with McCutcheon, Harper, Hoskins, Riamuto, Grace, and Segura, and play as a really good third base, that team just gets a lot better. Yeah, Alec Baum's a guy that, you know, a lot of hype. If Phillies Phillies lineup, if they're healthy and produce, look, Gregorius, Segura's just a hitting machine. So Gregorius, we've seen what he could do with a good lineup. Riamuto's probably the best hitting catcher, catcher in the league right now. Best all around catcher in the league. Hoskins can hit 30 home runs. We know what we know what McCutcheon's capable of, although probably at this point in his career, it's probably a little less. And Harper's obviously a guy who's won an MVP. I think, honestly, he's a guy that's going to hit 35 home runs to get 100 mm-hmm. RBIs. Where the average is around 300, 330, or whether it's about 260, 270, I think it's to be seen. Right. But yeah, for me, Philadelphia, um, it comes down to pitching. It comes down to bullpen. And right now, the rotation right now, in my opinion... It's, it's fourth. All the four teams we have. They're yeah. contenders. It's fourth. You know, the pitching, 
you know, obviously have a good a lot, of, a lot of good young prospects. I think Spencer Howard, if he has a good season, if he's up, it'd be huge for them. They have three guys going. But Philadelphia, obviously we talk about these four teams. What else is going to happen? So let's get to the Miami Marlins. Uh, obviously right now we're looking at uh, Corey Dickerson, Starla Marte, Jesus Aguilar, Chase Anderson, Adam Duvall, Miguel Rojas, uh, Aizen Diaz, and Jorge Alfaro. Then we got Sandy Alcantara, Alcantara sorry, yikes, uh, Pablo Lopez, Alicia Hernandez, 6'2 Sanchez, who's also a player to watch this year, yes. and Trevor Rogers. Look, Marlins made the playoffs last year. It was awesome to see. The 60-game schedule, they did it. But in a 162-game schedule, could they actually be a contender? Because right now, like, I don't see 162 games. I don't. No. No, I don't think so either. I think last season they, they did well with um, being able to, uh, what sort of, they kind of took advantage of that, that sprint, and as a result, they had some success, got into the playoffs. Uh, but I just don't think that's sustainable. I think they're still really young, and I think there's a chance that it can be, uh, but not this year, not this season. Yeah, and, you know, we talk about the four teams ahead of them. Like, you know, I think all four of them hitting-wise do have an MVP candidate in there. I think Soto could be the, at that point. Harper, obviously, is a former MVP. I think Lindor, yes. And we talk about... Uh, Freddie Freeman. They don't have that. You look at the pitchers they have. There's teams that have uh, the Mets have DeGrom. The Nets have Scherzer and Strasburg. Billy's got Aaron Nola. Atlanta, you know, TBD. I think Freed or Soroka could be that guy. Morton's obviously had a lot of success the past five years of his career. You know, Marlins, it's a long-term game. You know, they're kind of also in the front third of their rebuild. Uh, obviously, getting the playoffs last year was... Amazing. It was great. It was awesome to see Miami. What? The Marlins in the playoffs? In 2020? I guess anything happens, right? But, you know, I think Miami's going to be fighting this division. And it is what it is. So, prediction time. Who wins the division? Uh, one through five. Write it down for me, bud. I'm going to go Braves one, Mets two, Nationals three, Phillies four, Miami five. I'll go Washington 1, New York 2, Atlanta 3, Philadelphia 4, Miami 5. And honestly, I we talk about the divisions. We talk about maybe the AL West uh, having a team of three teams in the playoffs, division of three teams in the playoffs. I can easily see NLEs having the same thing this year. And honestly, I think it would be Washington, Atlanta, and New York. I think it is, honestly. And you look at the Central... Yeah, but the West, that could be interesting, though. As I say this now, it's like, okay, maybe not. But you know what I mean. Like, there'll be dogfight to get into those playoff spots for that division. It'll be a lot of fun. So, are you ready for the next segment? Yes. Are you sure? Oh, absolutely. Positive? Never been more ready. It's time for my favorite segment of the show. It's Camp Christmas. Hey! So, we talk about the NLEs. Obviously, the Nationals won the World Series in 19. But the last NL team to do before that, the 2015 Mets. This is going to be trivia on the 2015 World Series. And I'm excited about this because, believe it or not, I watched this World Series. As did I. So, are you ready? Yeah. Question number one. Game one, the Kansas City. Electric 
atmosphere. Yep, it was sweet. Kansas City's first hit in the first pitch of that game. And it's at the park home run. Yes. Who hit it? LCD's Escobar. Correct. Question number two. Who was the World Series MVP? Salvador Perez. Correct. Question number three. This Mets, pitch, this Mets pitcher was known as the Dark Knight. Matt Harvey. Correct. Three for three. Damn. Bonus round. What pitcher recorded the final out of the World Series? Hmm. Luke Hoshaver? Incorrect. Oh. The correct answer was Wade Davis. Wade Davis, okay. Hoshaver got the win. So, obviously, we had breaking news. We're going to the NL East. We'll get into more now. Uh, J.J. Watt, Arizona Cardinals, two-year deal. As we're looking at their depth chart projected now, they're bringing loose like looks like seven starters on defense. It was Corey Peters, Devontae Campbell, uh, Marcus Golden, Hassan Reddick, Patrick Peterson, Charles Washington, and Drake Kirkpatrick. We talked about how crazy it's gonna be in the division, but what does this mean for the Cardinals to get a player of that caliber? Well, I think it's incredible, man. You know, you said they're set to lose so many of those guys. I'm now wondering if maybe a couple of these guys decide to take a little bit less money and go try to chase the Super Bowl. I mean. This division is going to be so dang competitive, and by Arizona going out and getting a player like J.J. Watt, that makes a statement. So I'll be interested to see how free agency shakes out. Maybe a couple of these guys will decide to take a little bit of a cut uh, to pursue championship. Yeah, obviously we saw Arizona was a game away from the playoffs this year. They know they're close. Mm-hmm. Bringing in J.J. Watt to get him to buy in on what they're doing, obviously it's going to set a tone. The Rebel Fact Rest of Agency saying that, now these defensive free agents, it's like, hey, you want to try and win, come here. Come to Arizona. Because obviously you look at the division, Seattle, who knows what's going to happen with them. Yeah. Uh, Rams, Stafford's not a guarantee. I'm going to say it over and over. Defense repeating that performance, not a guarantee. Offensive line repeating that performance, not a guarantee. Cam Akers repeating that performance, not a guarantee. Matthew Stafford staying healthy for 16 games and being an MVP candidate, not a guarantee. San Francisco, if they're healthy, yeah, it's awesome. But also the offense is kind of a – it won't be as explosive as Arizona's. That's right. potential to be. I was talking third-year Kyler Murray. I remember someone saying that Arizona doesn't have the weapons. <laughs> you still have DeAndre Hopkins, Christian Kirk, and Andy Isabella. Stop it. Yeah. You got plenty of weapons out there. Yeah. Obviously, they did rest for agency because also losing two stars in the offensive line. You're losing – Jerry Sweezy, Kelvin Beach, I'm losing Dan Arnold, losing Kenyon Drake, and probably unless I knew Fitzgerald's going to retire. Great for him. If they draft well, they draft to fill a couple holes, and they do well in free agency. I I honestly have no clue who the hell is going to win the NFC West this year. Me either. No clue. No, but because this because this just because look the Rams because look at this division the past couple years. San Francisco built have built really good defense to the draft. Seattle said, I call and raise you, we'll get Jamal Adams. The Rams said, hey, I'll call that and raise you, and we'll get Matt Stafford. The Cardinals just went, hey, I'll call you, I'll call and raise you, and we'll go J.J. Watt. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if Arizona can add more pieces on defense, if Isaiah Simmons can be the player he is capable of being, if they can get another pass rusher, if somehow... Um, Hassan Reddick resigns. Obviously, Chandler Jones stays healthy. That's terrifying. Still, Buda Baker. 
You have Deontay Thompson playing the second or third year now. Barry Murphy and Nickelback. I can't believe I said Nickelback on the podcast. Make it the point. You have Byron Murphy as well. This defense, again, you fill a couple holes. And this MC West is unpredictable. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. That's kind of where we're sitting with this right now. All right, so that's going to wrap up the show. First time we had breaking news on the show. It's kind of cool, huh? Kind of crazy, man. I mean, it kind of sucks when I talk about this Monday as it happens, but it'll come out on Thursday. At least get those reactions out. Yeah. So, Christian, are you ready for the question of the week? I'm ready for the question of the week, brother. It's be fun. If you could go, if you could time travel, like Matt Groening probably is, hot take there, to any sporting event, all time, ever, what would it be and why? Uh, this might surprise you, but it's the 1989 Eastern Conference Finals in the, uh, the NBA, uh, the Bad Boy Pistons against Michael Jordan. Uh, I'd love to go to all six of those games. Just because of how much those teams hated each other. And how much the fans from the Bulls hated the fans from the Pistons. I just would love to be right in the middle of it. You know what I'm saying? Because I love a good rivalry. And to be able to be a part of that. Just have people screaming at each other. Because that's what sport, That's what makes sports so much fun. Is that the passion that comes with it. So to be able to watch that I think would be sweet. Yeah, for me, uh, I'll throw an obvious one. I'll throw a dark horse at you. Obvious one, 1980, Blake Placid. U.S. against the Soldiers. Mm-hmm. Need I say more about that? I mean, also be just to scream "U.S.A." with the top of your lungs as you take down the Soviets, not the Russians, yeah. the Soviets. Yeah, oh right. man, bunch of college kids against a bunch of pros that won everything for twenty years straight. Oh man, that would be insane. But also for me, um, it's gonna sound weird, but take me the two thousand thirteen Game Seven of Boston Garden against the Bruins and the Leafs. The Leafs. Or four to one, midway through the third, Boston scored three goals in the third and won it in overtime. I've been to some real insane hockey games, but that kind of energy and with that kind of rivalry and that kind of feel to it would be absolutely bananas. Because 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 we felt some because you and I have felt some real electric environments before, right? Yeah, for sure. But seeing a team come back against a rival like that in a game of that much meaning, man, that'd be so cool to see. Mm-hmm. Without a doubt, man. Without a doubt. All right, so any last things you want to talk about before we wrap it up? No, sir. All right. For Christian Boer, I'm Mitch Vosberg. Keep me sticking the ice.